You are listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. Welcome to another episode of Plato's Cave, a film criticism show and podcast. I am Stuart Richards, and with me tonight in the cave are my co-hosts, Emma Westwood and Sally Christie. Hello, happy spring. Happy spring, Stewie. Spring. Spring time. How exciting. We spring got some sunshine sprung. in Melbourne today. It was beautiful. Finally. Uh, so on tonight's show, we take a look at the much-anticipated adaptation on Kevin Kwan's book, Crazy Rich Asians, directed by John Chu. Later in the show, we'll also look at Lebanese drama The Insult, where a minor confrontation between two men escalates to a high-stakes legal battle. And have your subscriber numbers handy as we have four giveaways tonight. So much. So much to give away. We give away so much. This is why people should subscribe, shouldn't they, Stewie? They should subscribe. Really, they can still subscribe. And they get can the subscribe still. any day that you, you can, like. but you can get the extra special prizes yeah. still, you know. And, and also still, you can yeah. experience, have the chance of experiencing that set from Courtney Barnett. Oh, Amazing. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. My, my cat Scout just subscribed as well. Did Scout go to Courtney Barnett? Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> she wasn't allowed in. My cat That's Lulu subscribes. She does. She does subscribe. Okay. Love it. So first tonight we are <laughs> taking a look at the incredibly true story that is the focus of documentary Three Identical Strangers, directed by Tim Wardle and produced by CNN Films. Stumbling upon each other by chance at 19 years old, Bobby, Eddie and David become media sensations after they discover they are triplets separated at birth. They feature on magazine covers, talk shows, on the dance floor at Stad- Studio 54 and eventually running their own popular restaurant. It's only until the New Yorker's investigative journalist Lawrence Wright began seeking the truth behind the brothers' bizarre situation. And only then does the ugly truth behind their adoption come to light. Director Wardle uses the case of these three brothers to ask ethical questions around the enduring debate of nature versus nurture. The film was a success at Sundance, winning the special jury prize for US documentary. This is Wardle's first commercial feature-length debut, previously directing the TV documentary One Killer Punch. So thoughts, Sally? Um, I really, I love a good doco. Um, and there was a lot of hype around this one for MIF. I saw this one at MIF. Um, I do feel like this slipped me down a little bit. It's such interesting subject matter. I was very, very excited to see it. But I think that we've been spoiled in recent years with the way that we've kind of broken away from telling traditional, from traditional documentary. We've had things like Kate Plays Christine, um, The Act of Killing, Casting Jean Benet. So we've had a real change up in the way that we actually view documentary. And this was a pretty kind of standard documentary and it didn't excite me how it should have with the content that it was because it is completely fascinating. And I wasn't aware of the story. Being in Australia, I wasn't aware of the story. I also found out that it's Tim Mordell, the director's w- yeah, name? Yeah, Wardle. Wardle? Wardle. Um, he's British and he only became aware of this story five years ago too. So this is quite new to him, which I think is pretty interesting. So I didn't have that background context, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing. But um, I really would have liked to have seen a lot more of their time when they were younger at things like Studio 54 and when they were kind of playing up in New York City in their heyday. But... 
I guess that also comes down to what kind of archival footage they have available to them. Surely there's something on the set of des- Desperately Seeking Susan. I know. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I remember that. What a when they when they showed that um, that shot of um, Madonna walking walking to a brownstone and these kind of these triplets checking her out, I was like, I remember that. I remember them in mm. that film. So that's the the level of celebrity they managed to get. But I think with what you were saying, Sally, um, in terms of the types of documentaries we've had privilege to see in recent years, is this is very this film felt very CNN. It's interesting yeah. that you should yeah. say that yeah. CNN were involved. Um, I found it to be strong storytelling. It definitely, you know, it tells a good story, but there is an element of commercialism to it that's kind of odd. There's a, so interesting flourishes that they decide to put on it that may be um, a little bit heavy-handed for a documentary. Things like when they have the voice of the person at the start when they're telling the story and they put the voice of the other the other triplets in the mouth of the other one and things like that, which is it, it's all very cute, mm. but maybe it's a little, little too cute, a little too manipulative. Mm. I, yeah, the storytelling is really interesting because the first, I guess, 40 minutes of it is providing all of this information. It's like a, a thing that we're investigating because there's something, we know there's something not right here with their backstory. And about 40 minutes in, then there's a reveal and it's like, hang on a minute, and there's a rewind and the footage actually rewinds. I don't, and then yeah. we kind of, we get... It's a bit cute, we kind of we, we, we revisit these with new information. And interestingly, the reason why I mentioned that TV documentary, One Killer Punch, it's a British TV documentary. It's on YouTube for those that want to watch it at home. It goes for about 45 minutes and it, it looks at three different cases of uh, king hit punches where someone has died at the hands of another person um, in, a, in a fight. And it's, the style is very, very similar. There's that really corny reenactment that um, mm-hmm. uh, that, uh, that features in th- uh, the Three Identical Strangers. And then there is the, the, the interview subjects with a black background talking to the camera. And it's very, very similar, which is when I think we're talking about this documentary being maybe a bit safe, a bit easy, a bit commercial to watch. There is that perhaps that kind of television did aesthetic. You, did you notice that the kind of lingering tail ends to the shot? It's like that um, when they did the interview sequences, they allowed the camera to roll a little bit longer mm. and to... But I don't know whether that was staged or not. It felt staged yeah. to me. I, I think yeah. I definitely enjoyed the first 40 minutes more than I enjoyed kind of when the reveal came. That felt like a bit of a letdown for me. I don't know why, but it just did. There's the the, mm. the interest in talking about them and them meeting each other and, like I said, I, I find that kind of period of New York just really fascinating anyway. So I found that very interesting and then, yeah, the second half of it was... Eh. Mm. I think there was one, um, the, the, the concept, it was very much around the nature versus nurture um, concept. And the idea, I, I, I thought it worked well with that. It kind of uh, presented one side and would have you maybe converted and believing in another way, in one way and then, and then flip to another side. But there was, um, 
There was one section or, or someone said something that probably resume, resonated the most with me, which was um, that we're looking for the things that are the same in twins, not the differences. Mm-hmm. And I think that moment. was the strongest moment in the film because the whole thing had been about them playing up the sameness yet not being, um, not meeting each other till they were 19, mm-hmm. yet... Um, Straight away, if you really look at them, there were were body differences with them. So straight away there was a physical difference that came into play, Um, yet... They wanted to be the same and and in some ways the media and the hype wanted them to be the same. So that was a, I, I, yeah, mm. I think that was a really nice moment in there. And I don't want to, you know, obviously we don't want to say too much because it's nice to see how it's revealed. I like seeing all that old Donahue footage as well. I, yeah, I do too. I love yeah. old Donahue. <laughs> like, there was one it. moment, and I've got to be careful not to spoil anything, but there was one moment that really cheesed me off. Uh, something happens to one of the brothers mm-hmm. and blame is placed at the father. Um, oh, yes. And that, that was interesting, wasn't off. it? All right. That was, that was monumentally offensive, I thought. I actually saw an interesting, very recent um, Q&A with two of the brothers mm. um, where they talk about that. So I, I, I'll talk mm. to you about yeah, <laughs> I can't talk, talk about it later. Spoilers. But, it, but um, oh, yeah. I know what you... It wasn't that anyone anyone with words blamed mm. but the documentary kind of blamed the documentary which is does. an interesting mm-hmm. yeah well, take uh, i know what you mean Stu. yeah i i mean and i think that perhaps one of the issues with this documentary trying to be a really easy watch for people where that subject matter is not an easy subject matter there's no clean cut there's answers, no clean cut answers and that's what they're definitely and this looking documentary for documentary yeah. is trying to package this up to be really easy to watch Mm. and that subject matter that they tackle is not easy and yeah I I, I really thought that that was that was the moment when I was like no it's lost me that Mm. that's when it lost me I remember seeing the trailer for this at the MIF program launch and I feel all in all that the trailer was much more exciting than the final product (laughs) like to honestly and that's not a good sign yeah (laughs) um yeah, the the trailer I think kind of mm. hyped it up, and it is really interesting content, but it just wasn't. And executed the reveal well. is genuinely shocking. It is the, the the sort of where I think it goes. I think that is genuinely interesting. Do you? Yeah, I do. Hmm. Yeah, I kind of <laughs> felt like I I guessed. <laughs> it, I'm easily but... shocked. <laughs> Yeah, maybe I read something in the past and I can't... Do you know what? It, it seemed kind of logical, but that's not a problem. I don't mm. find that that's a problem with the documentary. Were either of you aware so, of this story prior? No, no, I wasn't. Yeah. No. See, it's, oh, clearly it seemed seen like it, them it was, desperately we'd seeking all seen Susan. them and desperately <laughs> seeking Susan. But clearly this was a big thing in the States and I guess being, you know, in Australia yeah. that we mm. were unaware of it. Mm. Yeah. But then knowing if you if you were in the States and you knew of this story and you knew the reveal and you knew where it was going, I don't think this film would have that impact. Mm. No, yeah. yeah. And I think that's co- that I guess rings true to the filmmaker only becoming aware of this story recently himself mm. and being British and not being from the States, that this is all new to him as well. And I think that comes through definitely in the film. Mm. You're listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3RRR in Melbourne, Australia. 
So now to the incredibly popular Crazy Rich Asians. Uh, so to quote lead actor Constance Wu, this is the first all-Asian Hollywood movie in 25 years with Asian-Americans in lead roles. Uh, this is an important distinction, uh, so it's not to erase the international success of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon or Memoirs of a Geisha. Uh, a lot of people have been saying that it's not since the Joy Luck Club that we've had sort of an all-Asian cast, which is a technical... Uh, sort of um, fallacy. Uh, so, Rachel Chu, played by Constance Wu, has it all. She's an NYU professor in economics and ma- madly in love with her beautiful boyfriend, Nick Young, played by Henry Golding, in his first performance on screen. I could tell. <laughs> Save it. <laughs> Not yet. Uh, who are, and he asks her to accompany him to Singapore for a wedding to meet his family. Unbeknownst to her, his family is crazy rich and he is perhaps the most eligible bachelor in Asia. Not before long, many in Nick's circle are wanting to bring Rachel down, seeing her as an outsider that is beneath their status. The film also stars Michelle Yeoh, Gemma Chan, Aquafina, Ken Jung, Ronnie Cheng and Lisa Liu, who notably played Aunt May in The Joy Luck Club. Author Kevin Kwan wrote, this story about Asians with a North American audience in mind. The book was never a success in Asia. Uh, and in a great article on Refinery29 by Connie Wang, she notes that uh, Crazy Rich Asians can be read in Croatian, Norwegian and Hebrew, but it isn't available in any Chinese language. Though forthcoming Chinese translations have been slated after the movie's international success. Uh, the film also hasn't been met warmly in Singapore, with many criticising the film's lack of diversity. Nonetheless, it has been a huge success in the US, topping the box office two weeks at two weekends in a row and it has also debuted at number one in the Australian box office. So, Emma, thoughts? That's really interesting what you said, Stewie, because... Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Just interesting to thank listen you. to you. That's Aww. all. Uh, yeah, because this was probably the most culturally homogenous film I've seen. It had diversity. Mm. It was one Asian character. culture. Mm, I don't know about that. I thought it was just blanket assholes, basically, <laughs> across the whole thing. <laughs> but um, this, for me, I was looking forward to this movie. I will say I was looking forward to it from the trailer. I thought it looked really punchy and fun. But a, really, for me, everything that was punchy and fun was in the trailer and it didn't really trans uh, then translate to a longer 90-minute or however long it went. Two hours. Two hours. That was a long time, mm. right? Um, I yeah, there were a couple of interesting things. First of all, the the wonderful Henry Golding. He's very pretty, beautiful. He looks lovely on the screen, <laughs> but my God, he was as wooden as this desk in front of me. <laughs> Can I just say? <gasps> and there was absolutely no rapport between them. She was great. Constance Wu really had to work there. She had to she she had to lift that whole relationship and try and create an, a romantic attachment. And I think if there was a little bit more rapport between them, it would have actually been able to pluck on the romantic comedy heartstrings. 
but it didn't at all. And then there were some really weird scenes in this movie where there was a scene that I would say is this film's equivalent of the horse head in the bed in The Godfather <laughs> that they yes. kind of dismiss like, oh, they're girls being bitchy. No, and, then, and it's like, no, insane. hop on the plane, call the police. These people are nuts. And they just kind of flicked it off like nothing at all, which in some ways I thought was particularly scary and a bad message to put out there. So this film has been incredibly successful. Do you think uh, that the love of this film stems from the complete dearth of representation of um, Asian characters in Hollywood? I Look, I think it's incredibly important, particularly for young people, to have representation of their cultures on screen. I think that is huge. I think that's important. But representation and diversity does not make a good film. Um, and I don't think that this, this was a good diverse. film. diverse. Um, I didn't see any diversity here. I just well, saw it. Yeah, that's the Singaporean criticism because yeah. Yeah. it's I'm with just them. Uh, I'm totally Chinese with them. cast members mm. where that doesn't capture the racial diversity of Singapore. Yeah. Mm, absolutely. Oh, but it's even the way they behave. Mm. I don't know. It's even to have her sit there and play Mahjong with her possibly mother-in-law-to-be does not make an Asian film. That yeah. was about, you know, just throw in these little things. Otherwise, as people... Apparently that was a nod to Joy Luck Club. So that doesn't that scene doesn't feature in the book. Uh, that is uh, sort of just a direct nod to Joy Luck oh, Club. Okay, so it's more meta than I think. Mm, is that what meta, you're telling me? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I did love that the uh, all of the the wealthier and classier cast members had British accents and Rachel Chu had a, an American accent because that's tacky. <laughs> to really kind of dis- <laughs> d- distinguish the class difference. <laughs> Sally? Was, yeah, I didn't like this movie. I, but then I do not like rom-coms generally. I'm not, I'm not a fan. But You're not a Notting Hill fan? No, I'm not a Notting Hill Notting fan. <laughs> <laughs> I am not... I'm, yeah, I, I didn't love it. There was I am the wrong person to be watching Crazy Rich Asians. It just there's nothing there for me. Um, the, having said that, uh, Aquafina, she was great. Yes, um, her so character great. was excellent. She Pikeling. was my uh, Pikeling. Yeah. She was my favourite thing about the film. Followed by Ken Yong, who played her father. He was my second favourite thing about the movie. I just wanted to see more of them. They really held it for me. The rest of it. Really, it was just. I I also just hate that kind of crappy wealth porn that this film is, where it's just constantly throwing this in your face. And that, I is, know, that, that is the point of the film, though. I know that's the point of the film, but I still hate it. Like, yeah. I dislike <laughs> Sex in the City and things like that. It's just for me that kind of it's just repulsive. I could have had. Into it. I could have had more shopping scenes, to be totally mm. honest. That no. <laughs> that wedding was so tacky. <laughs> yes, I know that's the point. I know. I know that is the point of of that scene for that wedding to be incredibly tacky but holy shit it's tacky it's um, meant to be i think still aspirational in some ways yeah. isn't that's I, really see, confusing that's what, yeah. it, like, is this supposed to be laughing at these people with that you know old saying like money can't buy taste is this film meant to be laughing at that or is it meant to be aspirational yeah. i wasn't entirely sure but I, yeah, 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 I was unclear. confused about that i too. do have to say that i really enjoyed the film though like i <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I just clucked my tongue. I'm yeah. so sorry, Stewie. Oh because my god! Judgmental, <laughs> oh, Stewie. 
I mean, <laughs> even something like Love Simon. I mean, on the, we reviewed that on the show. We see, I, I loved Love Simon. We but we identified some limitations to that film, though. Yeah, I, I loved it. Loved it so mm. much. And this is the same. There are issues with uh, this film, um, which we've just identified. Um, <laughs> Henry Golding. Um, <laughs> But I really Just an issue for Emma, not but for I, you. But I, oh no, it was fine for me. I loved, but I loved that because there is a stereotype that um, Asian men aren't buff and they aren't sort of um, masculine and hunks, right? This film really tries to tackle that. I, I that interesting. I thought it was interesting how they flipped the female gaze and there was lots of yeah. ab shots. I do agree with and you she, there. I mean, I and Constance Wu is yeah. an incredible actress. She's great. Yeah, yeah fresh she's off great. the boat. She worked yeah. hard. Yeah. She worked very hard in this film. <laughs> <laughs> and Aquafina is fantastic. She was also in Ocean's 8. Um, and I think she stole the film, that film as well. Yeah, we're going to see a lot, lot more of yeah, her. Yeah, she's great. She's yeah. just got the most wonderful voice as well. You mm. could just listen so to her for the whole movie. Three, triple, ah. Finally tonight, we take a look at Jad uh, Duery's The Insult, where we meet Tony Haber, Hannah, a Lebanese Christian, a devoted member of the Christian party and an avid consumer of xenophobic anti-Palestinian propaganda. He clashes with a Palestinian construction worker, Yasser Abdallah Salome, over changes made to his apartment building. In the heated exchange, Salome calls him, quote, unquote, a fucking prick. This momentary conflict escalates into a complex legal battle exposing cultural and political divisions that embody a modern Lebanon. Nominated for Best Foreign Language Film at the 2018 Academy Awards, the film makes the case that no one has a monopoly on a traumatic history. So, Emma, you caught this one. What did you think? Hearing that it was the nomination for the Academy Awards doesn't surprise me at all. This is so foreign film Academy Award nomination all over it. I found this to be actually very, very commercial, Mm. this film, even though it's, you know, subtitled, which is not necessarily a commercial thing. But this is very much playing out to as broad an audience as possible. Um, for English speakers, though, it is a lot of reading. <laughs> it's, it's a very talky film. Very, very, very talky. So much talking. What I found interesting was the big um, disclaimer at the start that was this film does not, uh, or the, the filmmakers and the actors or the storytellers' uh, opinions is not that of the Lebanese government. And I found it's really odd that they they needed to put this this um, this card up at the start of the film, which I think probably informs a film for an outside audience more than anything because it is talking a lot around domestic politics of the region um, across the Arab lands, uh, the ideas of what's happened in Lebanon, even the the cross-cultural wars in Lebanon with uh, Christians and versus the um, Muslims and then also uh, the Palestinian uh, issues around and then bringing in the Israeli stuff as well, which has displaced the Palestinian people. So it's just this, basically this big hot pot of craziness. And I think that's what this film was really trying to say. It took the tiniest, tiniest issue and showed how it it was really representative of a much more global issue. Global issue in terms of the Middle East, but we could say global issue in terms of the world, really. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I really struggled with this film. 
I because the character of Tony Hannah I found to be completely unlikable. I um, agree. Yep. Because and I mean where it goes, it exposes sort of his family's traumatic history, and I guess gives reasons for him being xenophobic and for him being such an asshole. And I found his character to be so unlikable that it just left a really bad taste in my mouth that where it's almost excusing his xenophobia. And that didn't that didn't sit well with me. And he I mean the film is about the escalation of this conflict to a level where it connects it to these, you know, geopolitical um, tensions, the the escalation for me in terms of a narrative level just didn't flow. Mm. Um, it went from zero to ten so quickly, and I think it's part of that is because him as a character was completely irrational, uh, where he ignored everyone around him. He is an asshole to his wife, and that for me just kind of set me off um, on the wrong track with him from the very beginning. And so when we get this kind of tussle between these two characters, the entire time I'm on Salome's side where I'm like, yeah, yeah, I found that too. He is a prick. Um, and I would call him a prick, uh, for doing that. And no, you call him a fucking prick. Fucking prick. (laughs) My mother might be listening. Sorry, mum. It's a quote from the film. I know, I know. But, uh, yeah. So for, um, so for me, the entire time, I, I just, I just disliked him so much, even towards the end when there's sort of exploration of their sort of their histories towards the end. Even then I'm like, still a prick. Yeah, this is this is what I thought what you're describing, that explanation of especially of Tony's, the mm. character that we don't both Stewie and I don't like his history. I found that really twee. I found it was trying to give this depth to him and make us like him as a character because mm. maybe we didn't beforehand. Yet I just I just didn't buy it. And yeah. I'm wondering how it would play out to a local a domestic audience. Mm. Maybe because more of them, not necessarily in personality, would be like Tony, but maybe there's more of a majority there that would be more politically inclined to be on Tony's side. Maybe that's the mm. way it played out. It's hard to say. It's really hard to say. Although I think this film is incredibly accessible. It, it is. It, it, it will be something. It's... Uh, I can see how it will be an audience favourite yeah. at places. And it, it is something that we could you could go out for dinner afterwards and really have some nice... Talk about it. Yeah, yeah. meaty conversations around it, yeah. There were a few really kind of tacky moments, I thought. There's a reveal between the two lawyers that when that... <laughs> yes. I rolled my eyes and I was at the screening at the Melbourne International Film Festival and the there was like a collective eye rolling at that point <laughs> where people laughed and I don't think that was supposed to be a laughing moment. I don't think it was. Also that um, actress, she's... Um, and audiences at the Melbourne Film Festival would know her from a film called In Syria that was really <gasps> super... Yeah. Did you see that? I did not. It was super intense. So mm. she's kind of a little bit of you know, one of the actresses of Lebanon, shall we say. Mm. Um, she was, that was an odd, that was an odd relationship. We won't, we won't wreck, wreck the reveal. We'll let no. everyone else <laughs> roll their eyes at the same time. <laughs> it's incredibly well, it's incredibly well acted. It is, I, I yes. must say. Um, even towards the end with, with Tony Hab- Hannah's character's exploration, that was, yeah, that, that, that was performed very, very well, even though it was quite twee. Yeah, um, I, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I. Uh, yeah. 
I agree with you. I think that, that there was it was doing a lot and mm. it tried to and it and it kind of got to a point where it felt like a a bit of a mess and and the original tension was entirely lost but I think that was the point of mm. it to really get us all tangled into this this mess and even the the protagonists who found themselves in this situation or who had perpetrated it didn't know why or what they were doing anymore or what it represented and and look that that's that's that resonates that's a strong story it reminded me in a, i guess when i say it's commercial it reminded me of something like uh, and I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, on Sondis, the Denis Villeneuve film from, well, one of his, I think it was his first film, mm. so it was a long time yeah. ago. But it has that level of sensationalism or, you know, narrative thrust that it it just powers along this film, you know. Mm. So this one screened at MIFF yeah, as well? Yeah, screened at MIFF. And it was nominated for an Academy Award yeah. earlier this year. Okay, it seems like we're getting it quite late. Yeah, that's what I was thinking yeah. when I was preparing yeah. for this show. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Because, yeah, I haven't, mm. I haven't seen this, hence why I'm not piping in. But, yeah, <laughs> it seems like, yeah, we're getting this quite late if yeah. it was nominated earlier this Reminded year. Reminded me of that Simpsons episode. Where oh, Ho- I can pipe in on this. Yeah. The Simpsons episode. <laughs> where Homer and Ned end up uh, um, uh, mowing each other's lawns in yes. their w- uh, wives' Sunday yep. dress. It's um, very early Simpsons. <laughs> it is, but also, but the same thing where it's these two men being really sort of macho and sort of not backing down. And it is strangely mm. a very gender-based film because yeah. it is about it centers around the male ego and yeah. how this kind of directionless male ego and in this pride. film, anyway, and and that the women are very presented in a very strong manner I felt like they were the, the kind of ones saying what are you doing you yeah. know they were the moral centers of the film well exactly we even yeah. had a female judge in the film yes. so yeah. and a female lawyer yeah and I thought that was interesting and and the Salome character as well even though we've knocked Tony a bit he was also a very kind of prideful character where he wouldn't back down and he was being quite unreasonable in his actions as well so yeah yeah it exactly. is interesting that we're sort of all of the female characters are more kind of moral centers Yes, yeah. Yeah. I think that I can see this film doing really very well. Mm. Let's just say that. Yeah, I was having yeah. a look at the box office It'll results uh, today and it has gone really well. I can't remember the exact number it's pulled, but it has sold quite well. Mm. Uh, and tonight we discussed The Insult, which is in limited release. We also discussed the Cinema Nova exclusive Three Identical Strangers and also Crazy Rich Asians, which is in wide release now. You have been listening to Emma Westwood, Sally Christie and myself, Stuart Richards. Thank you to Faith Everard, who edits the podcast version of this show, and to Carl Chapman on the decks tonight. You've been listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. For more podcasts, information about upcoming events and our live stream, please visit our website at rrr.org.au.